Father, we thank you that you sent Christ to be God with us. I ask, Lord, today that you will walk with us through the, through the difficulties of life, those that are walking through the valley of the shadow of death. You said you would be with them. And so we ask you to be with us today. I ask you to walk with the Hawksbergens and Evelyn families. I ask you to walk with the Bedger family and the Vandermolen family and, and Lord, others that may have lost loved ones and those that have, through this year, said goodbye to someone they love. And now at Christmas time, their memories come very vividly before them. Lord, would you walk with them in comfort? I ask also, Lord, that you will walk with us through the, those that are having financial difficulties at this time of year, perhaps job loss or, or transition, or family uh, relationship issues that have, that have wrenched people's hearts. Lord, I pray that you will walk with us that you will be Emmanuel, Lord. Uh, you have said that you, you can be touched with all of the feelings of our infirmities because you were tempted in every way just as we are. So we look to you, our great high priest, the one who has walked with us, Emmanuel. Thank you for the promises of your word. Thank you that your word gives us light today in a dark, dark place. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you for worshiping together. Thank you, praise team, Brad and the team, for leading us in beautiful worship today. I want to also say thanks to uh, Jenny and the hospitality team and uh, all, the, all over the church, the artistry and the uh, nostalgia of, of uh, church past, Christmas past. Isn't it neat what they've done? I don't know if you've checked it out in the lobby and in the sanctuary, uh, but the stained glass window in the center here was painted by Lori and Hannah, I believe. I hope I'm not getting that wrong, uh, the Heshkies, but uh, beautiful job. And, and just take some time today, if you can, to look around. Um, as I begin the message today, Brad led us in one of my favorite Christmas carols a little bit ago, and he did, so, did a great job with the Paul Balash version of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Well, about 25 years ago, uh, I wrote another arrangement for this song for my brothers to sing at a Christmas concert that we were going to do, and, uh, uh, and I couldn't get my brothers to be here today, and, and so with the, with the expert help of Nick, uh, I recorded a few tracks on Wednesday, and so I'd like to try this today, and I, I want you to listen to, this, to the words of this song, but I also want you to listen for the very last note of the song. I'm giving you a fair warning, it's not perfect, the pitch isn't perfect, but I hope that you'll, that you'll hear something a little bit different, a little bit of a different twist on this hymn than maybe you've heard before. So let's try it, Brian. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. 
Oh, come thou day spring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here, and drive away the shades of night, and pierce the clouds and bring us light. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. O come, thou key of David, come, and open wide our heavenly home. Make safe the way that leads on high, and close the path to misery. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel, shall come to thee, O Israel. I wish you could have heard my brother sing it, actually. But anyway, there's three components, musical components to that song that I want to talk to you about today. Um, first of all, there's a verse in C minor. And then there's a refrain in C minor. And then there's a C major resolve at the very end. That's a little twist that I wanted to throw at you. Now, for those of you who love music theory, uh, you might, I see, so that, good job, all right. Uh, you'll probably correct me on this, and those of you that don't like music theory, just bear with us, but uh, there, there are 24 keys that any composition can be written in. There are 12 major keys, and um, the, you can even help me with this. I'll have a little audience participation. You remember the do, re, mi scale, the major scale? Let's do it together. Do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do. Very good. Now, you want to do the minor scale for me? It's almost the same, just a couple half steps different. I'm going to try it. I might flub it up. Do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do. Now, in a minor scale or in a minor uh, key, a song takes on a completely different atmosphere and attitude. It's very melancholy. It's sad, kind of dark. And in fact, I was, I was doing a little, listening to a little bit of music this week, and I heard some songs where they did both in a minor key, and then they did it in a major key. And it cha totally changed the complexion of the song. And so those three components that this song had this morning, we're going to talk about because it's a lot like life. The verse in C minor, the refrain in C minor, and then the C major resolve. And I'm going to break down our lives in that musical uh, genre this morning, and we're going to talk about life in a minor key for a little bit. Life in a minor key. Has anyone lived life in a minor key? Yeah, well, only three of you. Come on. The, the rest of you are just out there dancing for all your worth, right? Life in a minor key. I have in my hand here a handful of programs 
These are people in the last 12 months that I've walked with through the valley of the shadow of death. And this is a snapshot of their lives. There's somewhere between 30 and 40 obituaries here. And they range from one who was seven days old, little baby Adeline who passed away just about two, three weeks ago, to a saint who was almost 101 years old and everything in between. Some died from natural causes, some in tragic accidents, some almost before life had begun, some even at their own hand. In this stack of papers, you can find missionaries, saints, businessmen, race car drivers, grave diggers, and drug dealers, all in this stack of papers. The one thing that they have in common is that for each of them, the grave came calling. And everyone left behind a family who was grieving and asking the question, how long? How long, O oh Lord? How long? In my uh, experience as, as a leader of pastoral care ministries here at Third, sometimes my heart almost breaks with the sheer volume and the weight of the pain that people walk through on a daily basis. This is just a small uh, snapshot of what, what goes on in the life of Third Church and in this community. And I have to admit that there are a lot of times on Tuesday morning when Jane and Carl and I meet that that question comes to my mind, how long, oh Lord, how long? How long do we have to live under the curse of death and sin? How long do we have to feel the effects of Adam's fall? How long do we have to walk in the, in the valley of the shadow of death? It seems like forever sometimes. And as I was thinking about this, I, I thought about many different friends that I have, both in this church and around the community, friends in all sorts of different professions, and all of them could be asking the very same questions that I'm asking this morning. I'm thinking of my friends in the medical field, fighting against every day against the curse of sickness and disease. New diseases, new bacteria, new, uh, new things to fight every day. And they must ask the question, how long, O oh Lord, how long? I'm thinking of my friends in the mental health field, trying to bring healing and surrounded by escalating anxiety and depression that abounds all around. And they have to be asking the question sometimes, how long, oh Lord, how long? My aging senior friends, of which I have many, struggling to make ends meet on a fixed income, battling health questions and concerns, fears of dementia, nursing home care, and perhaps most of all, the fear of irrelevance. How long, oh Lord, how long? Must I walk with this curse of humanity? My friends in law enforcement, putting their lives on the line every day in places of rampant sin, civil unrest, and violent hatred. They must ask the question, how long? Oh Lord, how long? My friends in military uniform, in a world where wars continuously ravage and impoverish nations, and sometimes for almost no reason at all. How long, O oh Lord, how long? 
My friends in the political arena, serving as public servants in places of deceit, cynicism, and greed for power. How long, O oh Lord, how long will our system be so broken? My friends in the scientific community, trying to make sense of a planet that groans and travails with the weight of human indulgence. How long, O oh Lord, how long? My friends in private and public education, thanklessly training and teaching in a classroom often void of decency and respect. And I have to tell you, my heart just breaks sometimes when I think about the weight that our teachers carry, our administrators. It's a tough world out there. And, and they're in the middle and the front lines of it. Then I think of our parents and grandparents doing their best to equip children to stand strong in an intensely secular environment. So much so that I recall, can I tell you a little story about Asher and Simeon? Now, we know Asher and Simeon were two of the sons of Jacob, right? But I'm going to talk about a different Asher and Simeon today. I'm going to talk about my grandson, Asher, and the New Testament, my New Testament hero who was the first to hold the Christ child in the temple. That's Simeon, okay? Can I talk about that Asher and Simeon today and tell you how they're related? I still remember when my son, my youngest son, Joel, and his wife, Nicole, came to me and and they said, Dad, we don't even know for sure if we've got the courage to bring children into this world. Have you ever asked that question? Some of you young parents <laughs> said, everything is so broken. Everything is so against what we believe in. How are we going to be able to be courageous enough to bring children up in this culture in which we live? Well... They must have made a decision because about 10 months later, <laughs> I was standing in a hospital room here in Pella, and this was in 2006, I believe it was, on, on uh, September the 22nd. I got a phone call. I was at Pella Corp loading windows, and my son Joel says, you're a grandpa. I used to make fun of people that were grandpas. I thought, I don't ever want to be one of those. And I still remember running over to the, to, uh, the Pella Hospital and seeing Asher for the very first time. And I remember holding, my son Joel handed him to me. You know, when you get your own kids and you, and you receive this bundle, you say, what in the world am I going to do with this? <laughs> right? But there's something about a grandchild when you hold that grandson for the first time. There is an awe that just fills that room that I can't describe or explain. And I still remember the feeling that came over me and I felt like Simeon must have felt in the book of Luke, chapter 2, when it says he went into the temple and he took the Christ child in his arms and he raised him up toward heaven and blessed him. And in that moment, that's all I could do. I took little Asher, I raised him up into the sky and I said, Lord, thank you that you will protect this grandson of mine. I thank you that you have fearfully and wonderfully made him. I thank you that you have a purpose for this young boy. And even though, yes, the world is falling apart, perhaps everywhere we look, this is your child. 
This is a child of your creation. And I believe that one day he will come to know you as his personal Lord and Savior. And he will walk with you through his life. And I still remember holding Asher up and thinking about Father Simeon in the Bible. And that leads us to uh, Psalm 137. You see the, the how long questions that I've asked this morning. That's kind of what exile looks like as we look around us. It's life in a minor key. And in Psalm 137, there's verses 1 through 4, there's a little story about the children of Israel who were the, the singingest people in the world. They were, they were the celebrating uh, people. Everywhere they went, they had uh, celebrations and singing and dancing the Hebrew children. But in Psalm 137, something had happened. And, and the writer says, says something like this. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and we wept when we remembered Zion. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and we wept when we remembered Zion. We hung our harps on the poplar trees, thinking we'd never need them again. We hung our harps on the poplar trees because our captors, they came to us and asked for a song. They said, sing us the songs of Zion. And then this question, how can we sing the songs of Zion while in a foreign land? If you've been anywhere in this series of exile that Pastor Kevin and, and the teachers here have been talking about, you realize where we live today is a troubled place. It's a dark place. And sometimes we're tempted to say, how can we sing the songs of Zion while we're in a foreign land? But I want to take you to our text today, to Isaiah chapter 40. It's uh, on page 714 in your pew Bible if you would like to follow along. Because hope intervenes in the minor key of life in Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah says this in the first 11 verses. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed for her sin has been paid for. That she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. And this is a prophecy about John the Baptist coming. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. 
I have good news for you today. I'm not going to spend all morning about the lament of how long, oh Lord, how long. Because I want us to understand that God has visited us. And God has intervened hope in the midst of a minor key of life. And that brings me to the second part of our little musical composition. It's the refrain in a minor key. What's neat about this, remember the, the song, Rejoice, Rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to the end, O Israel. There's a, there, there's, a new, there's a new shift in our thinking. There's a, there's a change in our pattern, but we're still in a minor key. We're still in the stuff of life. And yet God has placed something in us that we are able in that moment of darkness to lift up a song of praise. A lament turns into joy and rejoicing in the midst of the minor key of life. The Holy Spirit has visited us and brought great joy in the midst of our minor key. The Holy Spirit has ushered in the kingdom of God right here, right now. Because when the angels sang in Luke chapter 2, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth with men on whom his favor rests. Excuse me. God is looking on us with favor today. And because of that, we can rejoice in the midst of the minor key. And Paul says this, if that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, it will quicken your mortal bodies. It'll make you come to life. You'll spring to life because of the spirit of God that Christ has placed in us. Paul goes on to say, the kingdom of God is not meat or drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Not only has the Holy Spirit ushered in the kingdom of God right here and right now, the Holy Spirit has also revealed to us the kingdom to come. Now, I got to tell you, this Pentecostal preacher might get a little excited for this last part. Is that all right? Because the Holy Spirit of God bears witness with us that we are the children of God. And you remember that scripture that says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. We quote that all the time, but it's followed up by these words, but the Lord has made it known unto us by his spirit. He has placed a down payment of glory in us by the Holy Spirit. And that changes everything. Yeah, we're still in a minor key. Yeah, we still lose loved ones. Yes, we still lose jobs. Yes, our families still struggle with all of the same things that everyone else around us does. But the Holy Spirit of God is in us. And he lives through us. And we're able to joy and rejoice in the midst of those trials of life. I want to talk for just a minute today about the dangers of lingering in lament. And I'll probably get myself in trouble because today was supposed to be a Sunday about lament. But I can't stay there, folks. I just can't do it. For one thing, for one thing, I don't think it's right to stay in lament. You might say, oh, well, Jesus wept. Yes, he did. And about three verses later, he said, Lazarus, come forth. (laughs) He didn't stay there. Peter and John walking along the, uh, toward the temple, they said, they, they, they see this lame man. And what did they say? It was kind of a lament. Silver and gold have I none. (laughs) Have anybody else ever said that? (laughs) I'm getting nothing for Christmas. (laughs) Silver and gold have I none. But what's the next word they said? In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, why rise up and walk? 
You see, lament is important for us to recognize the brokenness around us, but that's not where we live. Because of the Holy Spirit of God, we have something to offer. Paul and Silas, beaten and bleeding in a prison. Talk about a Did they sing a lament? I'm going to stop just for a minute. I'm going to meddle. Think about the New Testament a little bit. How much... Think about the book of Acts. Let's narrow it down to the book of Acts. We've been there for a whole year, right? How much lamenting do you see go on in the book of Acts? Very little. I'm not saying it's not important. We need to have the, uh, the freedom to lament and to grieve, but not the same way that those who don't have hope. In the book of Acts, you see them when they're persecuted, Paul and Silas in prison. What do they start doing? They start singing praises to God, and the jail is broken wide open. We grieve, but not as those who have no hope. To continue, listen, folks, this is probably the key statement that you'll hear all day. To continually sing the minor key verse over and over again without ever singing the refrain is akin to the children of Israel going round and around the mountain in the wilderness. Saying, oh, I wish we could go back to Egypt. You know what? There's a word for that. It's called unbelief. Ouch. If we choose to linger in lament, we are living in unbelief. Because the promises of God are yes and amen to those who are willing to believe. Do you believe that today? Yes. So, that leads me to the conclusion today of the C major resolve or the C major resolution at the last of our song. One of the reasons that we can have joy and victory is we know that this is just temporary. This, yes, it can be very difficult. It can be very dark and painful. I am not for one moment saying that it is not that. But we have God's own word that said things are going to change someday and God is going to resolve everything and we won't be singing in a minor key in heaven, I don't think. <laughs> we are going to be rejoicing. Let, let me just share some scriptures with you. First Thessalonians 4, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and we who are dead in Christ, shall those who are dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Hallelujah. Revelation 19, Then I saw heaven standing open, and there was before me a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire. He has a name on his robe and on his thigh that says King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of the Lord and of his Christ and we will reign forever. Revelation 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth because the old heaven and earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I, John, looked and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. There was a voice that said, now the tabernacle of God is with men. And I will live with them and they with me. 
and I will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more dying, no more crying, no more pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And then the voice from heaven said, Behold, I am making everything new. And then he said, Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He who overcomes will inherit all this. And I will be his God and he will be my son. You know what? That changes our minor key considerably, doesn't it? The minor key of life when we can get a picture of heaven, that that Holy Spirit that bears witness with us, it's a down payment of the glory that we will receive. It makes an complete difference in how we walk our lives. Should we lament? Yes. Should we weep? Yes. Will we cry? Yes. But we will do so with hope and certain trust in the promises of God. I'd like to invite the worship team, if you would, to come, to come up this morning. And as they do, I want to tell one more little story I shared this with, with the, um, in the sanctuary of, a few months ago, so if you heard the story, I'm sorry, but it, it just kind of fits here today. One of the obituaries that I have here was of a young man, 19 years old, by the name of Benjamin Van Wyck from Sully area. I remember when I got the call that he had been tragically killed in a farm accident. I wondered if I could officiate his funeral. This was in August, last part of July, first part of August. Now, Ben had had a tough life. He, he was an orphan from Russia who was adopted by a family here in, the United, in Iowa. And after he and his sister had moved here to Iowa, the family that he was adopted in fell apart and there was a lot of ugliness that went on and Ben just had a tough, tough life. He had some learning disabilities. He would never be at the top of his class. But Ben loved to wrestle. And um, I remember at the memorial service, we had a, a very fitting tribute to Ben and to the grace of God in his life. He loved the Lord. But there was a heaviness there was just nothing positive that I could think of to say that would lift our spirits that day because everything about Ben's life just seemed like it was lost. Life in a minor key had been snuffed out. And I remember on the way out to the cemetery thinking, what can I say as we lay Ben to rest in the ground? And we got out there and the the wrestling cheerleaders were lined up on this side of the casket and they were just crying buckets. Ben was one of their best friends. And on the way out to the cemetery before I got there, I had this crazy little song going through my head. (laughs) It's an old Johnny Cash song, of all things. And believe it or not, uh, Bethel Music has... has, uh, reinvented this song. I never thought Bethel Music would do Johnny Cash, but they have. And at the end of the committal, 
I just started singing this old Johnny Cash song. Ain't no grave gonna hold this body down. Ain't no grave gonna hold this body down. When I hear that trumpet sound, I'm gonna rise right out of the ground. There ain't no grave gonna hold this body down and by that time the whole crowd was singing and you can join ain't no grave gonna hold this body down same line ain't no grave gonna hold this body down when i hear that trumpet sound when i hear that trumpet sound i'm gonna rise right out of the ground they ain't no grave gonna hold this body down and i want to tell you that at that moment the the the, the scene completely changed now there wasn't dancing there wasn't anything like that but all of a sudden there was hope there was the realization that this is not it that god was going to resolve all things one day and if i can tell you how that ended it was the coolest thing i've ever saw the cheerleaders, they were still balling, but they got up and they did a go fight win. Linville Sully Hawks cheer to send Ben off. I want to tell you today that the promises of God make a difference. We can live in hope. We can live in victory. Even in the lament, in the minor keys of life. Because he is here. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. I invite you to worship with the team as they lead us in a reprise of that song. If you'd like to, please stand.